This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever see a successful woman on your feed or in a magazine and think, wow, it must be nice to have it so easy? Well, think again. Behind that glossy cover or smiling face is a ton of hard work, countless failures, and endless learning experiences. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and I'm here to tell you that success isn't a walk in the park. It takes grit, resilience, and a willingness to take risks. That's why I created Superwoman a podcast that peels back the varnish and gets into the nitty-gritty of what it takes to make it as a woman in today's world. From luminaries and game changers to women you've never heard of but should, this podcast is here to inspire you to take your next leap, no matter how daunting it may seem. We'll explore the sacrifices these women have made, the highs and lows they've experienced, and the lessons they've learned along the way. So if you're ready to be inspired and learn from some of the most successful women out there, join me on Superwomen. Together, we'll uncover the stories behind the successes and prove that with hard work, determination, and a little bit of luck, anything is possible. Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guests are back for round two. I interviewed these incredible ladies When I first launched the podcast, one is a dear friend, the other is an even greater friend. Jenny and Melissa started JBC Communications 10 years ago and have continued to withstand the challenges of a crazy shrinking editorial and magazine environment and helped architect the growth and personal brand for so many companies you know and love, Parachute, Dorsey, Primary, We go deep on motherhood, how they have encouraged a culture of empowering more women to be able to figure out motherhood and life, how they weathered the pandemic, and what excites them about going to work every day. Take a listen. Welcome back to the podcast. You guys were were two of my OG guests, uh, Jenny and Melissa from JBC Communications. Uh, We go back um, 20 years. A little bit. Yeah, I was going to say 18. 18. Yes, that's more <laughs> correct. So specific. Um, so I think it was nice to have you back because so much has changed since I interviewed you in 2019. It was pre-COVID. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was like 2018, but maybe 2019. So for those tuning in, you can go back, listen to the OG episode. But for those that aren't going to do that, will you just share a little bit of background about the two of you? the firm and then we'll get into to all the things. Yeah, we this is Jenny. I'm Jennifer Meyer, uh not the jewelry designer. Um we started JBC 10 years ago this month actually. Um Melissa Congrats. my business partner and I. Thank you. Um and we specialize in kind of brands across different 
industries, but what they have in common is, you know, they're innovative founder led. Um, we launch an enormous amount of brands. We, our specialty is storytelling and earned media. We really haven't strayed too far from our core offering, which is earned media. Um, and I have been in PR for a really long time. When I met you, I think I was at Starworks, but I'm Starworks. not quite sure. I've kind Where's of, Starworks? yeah, I burned that memory from my brain. Um, and my background before that was I worked in media at Harper's Bazaar, Marie Claire, and kind of was all over the place. When we launched JBC, I'd kind of been in-house agency, blah, 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 met up with Melissa. Long story short, we thought the PR agency model was not working anymore. And um, we had a very similar approach to how to work with brands. And so we launched 10 years ago. Now we have two offices, LA and New York. We have about 45 to 50 people, um, a few people scattered throughout the country, Austin, Chicago. Um, and Melissa is our managing director. And so she really runs kind of the day-to-day operations of the agency, whereas I'm more focused on kind of high-level strategy and company growth. Um, and that's kind of who we are, Melissa. Anything I'm forgetting? No, I think we're going to get more into it. I think that was a good high-level. I will say, though, Becky, that one thing I meant to tell you, sorry to interrupt you so early on in this podcast, (laughs) is that we get a lot of new business emails, and I would say 90% are referrals, and 10% are kind of cold emails. And of that 10%, the main place they will reference that they heard about us from is your podcast. All these years later, they will be like, oh my God, I heard you talking to Rebecca Minkoff. I was you know, really into how transparent you are about the PR agency process. And I will say, so we've had, you know, probably at least 15 to 20 of our clients on your podcast and they hear the same thing. So girl, you're doing good. That's so nice to hear. I was speaking with a fellow podcaster yesterday and she was telling me about this huge leap in listeners that she was able to unlock. And I just couldn't believe I didn't know about it. And I was like, I'm not doing enough. So it's nice to you, hear every, that. Is, I'm telling you, you're harder. definitely one of the number one that like our clients are always looking to be on. Mm-hmm. I just think oh, that good. you're hitting both consumers and industry in a really interesting way. Well, thank you. That means a lot. But back to us. Um, back to you. So your style and technique and success had to have shifted during COVID and especially the last five years. I'd love you to sort of dive in on what became hard, what didn't work anymore, and how have you sort of shifted and guided your clients accordingly? My answer to that, because a lot of people ask is, A, I'm unbelievably proud of Jen and myself, because it's very rare that we can pat our own backs of how we got through the pandemic. What we realized was that we had built the business in a way that we were so diversified and the essence of who we are and how we choose our partners was never more apparent than in the pandemic because our brands were we had fil- we had vetted these partners really well from the get go they were they were also set up to weather the storm basically and also they understood the major importance of having a comms partner during that time so i think all the work we had done from year 1 to the pandemic really paid off in that crisis moment. because, And that's when I realized, I'm like, we we did this right. We know what we were on to something because we've always been laser focused on building our roster in a really particular way. 
and I was just saying earlier, it's really for us about quality control. Who are the most innovative brands? Who are the ones who are, who are focused on sustainability in the sense of a, running a sustainable business, a potentially profitable business, who have something that the consumers are going to want at all times um, and are really set up with that kind of level of resilience? And, and I think what it, what it did for me, at least, was say, we're doing the right thing. Let's stay very true to this, this kind of core filter of choosing the best partners in the market, no matter where they are, if they're in fashion, beauty, health and wellness, home and design, food and bev, and then also be best in class on the PR side, because then that meant we were servicing them in a way they needed, whether it was a crisis or a really great sales year. So those are the two foundations of our business that are never going to change. And I think that's what our secret sauce is. But I do think we've evolved, right, to um, continuously serve our brands the way they need to be served. We launched I mean, this. I mean, we probably mentioned this the first time around the podcast. We had launched our executive speaking division, for example, to better service our brands and take that pressure of conferences and awards off of the media relations team, so they could just focus on storytelling. We then launched a content division post pandemic to better serve our brands with op eds because so many of them had so many missions and working on activism and really wanting to get that messaging out there that supplemented media relations. Um, we launched an affiliate division to better service our very product forward and product heavy brands to supplement the media relations. So everything we do is to serve media relations and that storytelling focus, but we've just made sure that we're continuously evolving what we're doing. We'll never stay, you know, straying too far from what our core focus has always been, which is telling the best stories for the best brands with with the ever-evolving kind of media landscape that exists and keeping those relationships really strong. I was going to say the media landscape, like you see the attrition in, in publications and it's really hard. I feel like mm -hmm. these days, like you are wanting to tell a story, but where do you fucking go? Because everyone is consolidated and it just seems harder and harder to get the word out there that's not paid. I think yes. And I think no. So I think when it comes to traditional media, yes, you're completely right. I think I hate what's happening with kind of traditional media and the layoffs and everything we're reading about every day right now, because those teams are so unbelievably talented and, and nothing kind of tells a story like an amazing kind of fast company moment or a Wall Street Journal moment. Um, but there's more media to consume than ever before, because obviously consumers are not just getting their media from these traditional channels. They're getting their media from, they're getting their information from TikTok. They're getting it from the Today Show. They're getting it from a podcast. So to us, it's about always kind of being open-minded about what, what other avenues can we tap into to reach potential consumers and not staying so stuck in our old school PR ways where it's like, we're just going to hit Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Sure. We're always going to want those kind of those books from a branding perspective. They're wonderful. There's nothing better than that great Vogue moment if you're a fashion brand. But the 22 year old, you know, in Chicago is probably not shopping off of Vogue.com right now. So where can we reach her? I always say the most interesting thing to me is we get so much information about media from our interns because they are obviously shopping online. They're clicking to buy right away. They're on TikTok. They're on Instagram. They're, you know, kind of, that's how they're consuming media every single day. So we're constantly asking them, you know, where are you shopping? You know, how did you find out about the last pair of jeans you bought? And they'll say like, oh, this influencer or this random blog or, you know, this little article. So we're able to update our media list to reflect that because you can't just kind of sit back and say, 
I'm just going to approach the same media in the same way that we have for the Mm -hmm. past 10 years. That doesn't work anymore. I think, you know, the other thing that is really important that Melissa kind of touched on when we were talking about the pandemic is what that also taught us is that we have to have a layer of sensitivity built into pitching. We always Mm -hmm. felt that Mm -hmm. way. And I think every PR agency and publicist will say like, oh, you know, I would never send an insensitive pitch or with an insensitive headline or something like that. But we really worked with our teams to develop personal relationships with the editorial communities so that it wasn't about sending a mass pitch. It was about working with an editor on a story. So they're able to really figure out, okay, this specific editor is interested in this and may respond to this because they wrote about this. It's about doing that much more research so that you know when you pick up the phone and call that editor or you introduce them to a potential client, you know, it's going to match and it's going to work. Um, instead of just sending out, you know, like a PR release or a news blast saying this brand is launching this, you know, you can't just do that anymore. You have to be very kind of specific and intimate in terms of who you're pitching and what you're Mm -hmm. pitching them. And I think that really came through with COVID because everyone was going kind of through their own thing. Like everyone was touched by that. And so we couldn't just send out these mass pitches about a denim line launching. You had to really take a step back and say, okay, who's even open to this kind of news right now? You know, and that takes more time. I always say the PR that we do at JBC takes so much more time and so much more research and so much more kind of analyzing who we're pitching. But I think it's why we're able to get those meteor stories that are more memorable. Yeah, it's not just having the best pitch either and being the most well-researched. It also means having the best relationships because now that, and Rebecca, you mentioned this, like teams are getting smaller these editors have to cover so many more markets now or beats and even across titles. So they're getting inundated and they're only going to open the emails of the names they recognize at this point because that's all they have time for. So it really also comes down to what I've said forever about PR. It's, it is relationships. And when you're a brand choosing a great agency, you should be trying to figure out, do they have the strongest relationships with media at this point? Because that's who's going to get the opens on the, the pitches them at all. So um, it is important to do the research. It's important to write the best pitch, but it's also unbelievably important now more than ever to have the relationships that will actually get the story to the finish line and, and published. Um, and I think our team has done an unreal job of maintaining relationships from year one to now. So surviving a pandemic and still getting all the great stories they need. And now with this like even more crunched media landscape, still getting the job done. So, and that really comes down to being authentic and kind, respectful, all those things that you just want people to be in general. And that um, has made them like the best publicist because they can really cut through the noise um, against their competitors and against the brands they're kind of trying to get real estate from. So that's, I would also add on to that. So Jenny, before we started recording, you mentioned the last five years have been really hard and there's been a lot of lows. Let's, let's dive into the, the lows that you and Melissa have experienced and what you kind of did to get out of it. Are you still in it? We're not still in it, but I would say December was a low, but to backtrack, It's been very up and down. I would say the first six years of our business, they were pretty consistent. We had really significant growth year after year. It was like every day was like another home run. We were just thriving and doing great and growing every day. And between COVID and the economy, um, it was a really difficult last few years. I think we were struggling to figure out 
how to number one, not just stay profitable, but to grow continually. Like we did not continuously, we did not want to kind of stop growing. And so how do you do that in an economy and an industry where everyone is laying off people and everyone is cutting back on their budgets? Um, How do we justify telling a brand that they need to pay us this amount of money when we're going up against agencies that are quoting a quarter of that at the time? Um, And we really just kind of took a step back and, you know, through a lot of kind of hits and misses, figured out a good, you know, system that worked for us, which was we were going to kind of maintain, you know, our fees, but we were going to really invest in the team and invest in senior level service. And then as Melissa said, add on different services like affiliate and things like that. Um, But that's not to say we didn't make a lot of mistakes in moving too quickly, which is, I think, our number one mistake for Melissa and I is we both move incredibly quickly, which is great when you're a publicist and not always great when you're a business owner. Um, And that includes everything from making the wrong hires to hiring multiple people when we don't necessarily have the budget to support that. And, you know, bringing on clients because they have a significant budget when we feel like it may not be a great brand fit for us. So we made a lot of those mistakes. Um, And it took us really until recently to kind of recover from those mistakes. And now I'm really happy that we're, you know, back to being in a really good growth pattern this year. Um, But we had to, Melissa and I, for the first time in 10 years, had to really take a step back and look at everything we were doing, you know, under a magnifying glass and make some significant changes. Um, and we've never had to do that. We've never had to have those hard conversations. I, you know, didn't take a salary for a while. There was no bonuses for a while. We really had to do some kind of, um, you know, big swings when it came to where we were spending money and where we needed to save money. And I think you know, we came out the other end, we hired a fractional CFO to come on board to really guide us when it came to finances, because at the end of the day, finance is not my background. It's not really Melissa's, even though she told me randomly recently that she actually majored in operations. So I still don't know why she doesn't do that part (laughs) of the company. Um, But having a fractional CFO has helped significantly. Um, And it's also freed up the time for Melissa and I to do what we do best, which is being publicists. At the end of the day, people say to me all the time, like, you're the founder. There's no way you still pitch. I love pitching. Melissa loves mm-hmm. pitching. It is still so much fun. I love, you know, coming up with creative strategies for brands and collaborations and partnerships and connecting people. And I wasn't doing that for a while because I was so bogged down in the back end of the business. And it was actually RLK from Parachute, who's a good friend of mine and a client, who turned to me and is like, if you're going to get through this, you need to hire someone who can get you out of this. And you need to go back to doing what it is you love doing and what you do best. So it to me, that was unbelievably good news. Because if you find yourself in a position where you are struggling, and you know, you're probably not the right person to fix it. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in stepping aside and saying, I'm going to bring someone else in to fix mm-hmm. it. And we were lucky that we found this wonderful woman who has come in and really guided us to get to a place of, you know, real profitability and growth and strength and success. And now we're kind of back to being able to do what we do, which is PR. It's so refreshing to hear that you actually like to pitch because I feel like most people will like be fall in love with the owner of the company and then they sign and it's like the team. I, um, and they never, it's so get, funny they never in the, the past founder. few weeks, I 
I had more time to pitch ever since Carolyn came on board to help us. Um, and I've been working, I worked on a New York Times story. I worked on a fortune story. I just got an entrepreneur story. And I'm telling you, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And it's still like that giddy kind of 22 year old feeling when the editor writes you back and is like, I love this angle. Let's do it. I yeah. still like call Melissa and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> Melissa, they loved it. They loved me. You know, so I don't think if you really are good at PR and love PR, that shouldn't go away. That mm-hmm. kind of energy and enthusiasm. I think when the day comes where I am not comfortable writing a pitch or sending it out, same for Melissa, it's probably time for us to pack it in. Yeah. Because this is I think, what um, we built the business on. My 2024 resolution is to actually find more time for pitching because I get so bogged, not bogged down. It's my job and I'm happy to be there working directly with our teams and our VPs and also working with clients and talking to them through strategy that sometimes I look at the end of the day, I'm like, oh my God, the day's gone by. So my resolution this year is to actually free myself up to do, to actually go back to why I do this. And that's pitching and telling stories. So I'm putting it on the record. Okay. We're going to hold you to it. Let's get into you guys working together through the tough times. Sometimes that makes people at odds and it's difficult conversations. Or Jenny, you mentioned you didn't take a salary for a while. Like, how did you guys work through those things as partners? Well, first of all, when Jen sends me an email and is like, hey, we should maybe like take a pay cut for a short amount of time, I just ignore it. Um, and I don't write her back, (laughs) which is, I mean, it's true, but I ultimately we 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 do we're in it together. Um, and at the end of the day, like the hard things we do together, that just kind of is what it is. And that's what we signed up for. That's what I signed up for. Um, and luckily we've only had to be put in that situation like once or twice, not, and it's not, I think we've done a really good job of protecting the business and protecting ourselves. I'm sure Jen has a lot to say on this topic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think having hard conversations, I don't really, Melissa and I've worked together now for 10 years and. I can count on my finger how many times we've actually been angry at each other, or my hand, how many times we've been angry at each other. We communicate so well together, and I know how to approach Melissa with not great information. She knows how to talk to me about kind of tricky things, when to talk to me, what time of day to talk to me. Like, I know that if I'm going to have a difficult conversation with her about finances, I can't do it at the end of the day when she's about to be with her kids or, you know, when she's tired at night because she goes to sleep very early. You know, (laughs) I, we've kind of sussed out when to discuss the, you know, the trickier things with each other. But I mean, when it comes to these difficult conversations and they're, sometimes they just suck. I think the most important thing is to not do any of this stuff over text or Slack or anything like that. I think to be able to be face to face or pick up the phone and do FaceTime is unbelievably important. I think that goes both internally and externally. So when you have to have a difficult conversation with your client, don't just call them, like try to FaceTime them. Don't just send a Slack. And the same goes for us. I think that when you send a text with any kind of information that could be troublesome, it always leads to something worse. I don't, I think people miss understand or miss, you know, they, they don't interpret it correctly. There's no emotion in text. And I think that's the only time Melissa and I kind of run into trouble with each other is if I send her text and it just kind of pick up the phone. If you're like, Oh yeah, she usually picks me up the phone. Yeah. And she's like, this did not make me happier. Like, this is not cool. Can you not, you know, address something as significant as salaries in kind of such a flippant way. So we always get through it. I just, 
communication to me is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. We talk to each other a gazillion times a day. And if there's something that we really need to talk about, we will set aside time to get on a Zoom or a Google chat or a FaceTime together because I don't want that to just kind of be a few slacks back and forth. And I think that in this day and age, we've gotten very comfortable just texting, texting, texting. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to really tricky business decisions, you need to be able to be talking to that person's face. Yeah. I think it's important to clarify, Jen and I don't live in the same area. Right. We're actually, I'm on the East Coast and she's on the West Coast. So it, pre-pandemic, we were sitting across an office from each other and it was easier to just walk over and just like say, okay, let's, we need to talk about XYZ. But yeah, like now, since she moved out West, it's we do have to pay more attention to how we communicate because so much could get lost. I think at the end of the day though, like, it's like a sister, you know, who, when you're like, I know you didn't intend this to sound this way. I know the intention is not there, but it did come across and still doesn't feel great. So let's talk about it. I think ultimately we know each other. We know each other. We have the same values and that's never changed from day one till now. So when you're that like aligned, even these tough conversations or misunderstandings don't mean much in the sense of like, they don't last very long. And they're resolved very quickly. So um, that's me. And, and that's not the case for a lot of partners. Like, I mean, for most partners, I mean, we've heard horror stories and you could feel tensions, you know, when you're in front of partners, sometimes you're like, oh, I can tell that there is something going on there that um, so we're really lucky in that sense. We know that. And I think it's more important for us to continuously protect the relationship than anything else. So um, and I think that, you know, that makes a difference. Yes. Having, having been seen both sides, it's always a curious question about how founders, co-founders work and deal with each other. Yeah. Allie and I just had our first uh, big blowout fight and I was like, okay, it took us five years to yeah. deal with each other. <laughs> I mean, listen, Melissa and I disagree every day, but we yeah. don't unilaterally make decisions and we always listen to the other's opinion. So uh, if Melissa feels super strongly about something and I, you know, I said, okay, well, we're, we're, I don't want to sign this client. And she's like, Jenny, I really believe in this client. I did all this research. I I, I will say, okay, like she, I trust her. So at the yeah. end of the day, you know, you need to be semi-open-minded. Once you're close-minded with a business partner, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's talk about babies and Melissa well, you have like 42 of them. <laughs> I'm working on my uh, Orthodox certification. Thank mm-hmm. you. Baseball um, team. <laughs> yes. So you, uh, Melissa, you have three under six, three under five. Under six, under six. Yeah. Three under six. All girls. Jenny, you have a two-year-old. I have a two-year-old I and a 12-year-old for your stepson. Soul when you, your daughter hits nine. I know. Oh, I'm, Listen, I'm already horrified with my five-year-old. It's like, 
She's 15. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to survive preteen years with three girls. I, I might have to move away and come back. Yeah, it's normal. Here's the clincher, though, is that so we on our executive team, it's me, Melissa, and then Alana, who's our head of strategy and Libby, who's our head of growth. They've both been with us for, you know, seven to eight years. And the four of us really round up the executive team. All four of us had babies within four months of each other. So our maternity leaves overlapped and overlapped and overlapped. And when we all kind of realized that was happening, it was a moment of like, how are we ever going to do this? Like, how are we going to run this company? And we were a little freaked out by it. But I'm here to tell you, first of all, that moms work harder than anyone else. Like, I am so unbelievably impressed by kind of how we made that work. And we all took our maternity leaves. So we all were out. We all had the time to bond and be with our babies. And then we all came back and covered for the next person. And there was something really terrifying about that, about how close it all was. But it was also something really in a cheesy way, kind of beautiful. Because to have four moms running a company and having babies so close together could for a lot of people be like, oh my God, that's the end of that company. But for us, I really feel like it made our company stronger because we were all going through a shared experience together and we were so kind of in it to kind of pitch in for that next person who was about mm-hmm. to go on mat leave. So, you know, Melissa came back a few weeks early from her mat leave only because I uh, had Charlie a month early. Um, but she didn't even think twice about it. You know, it was just like, okay, Jenny's in the hospital. She's having the baby early. I'm going to set myself to come back a little bit earlier and help out. And then you know, moved into Libby and then Alana. And I just keep reading all these articles about people not hiring moms because they don't think that they're going to be, you know, around or available. And from my experience at JBC, from our shared experience at JBC, almost every single VP at JBC is a mother. But I have to interject, those are all places that are male dominated that are not making concessions for those moms. Well, that's what I'm trying to say that if you create an atmosphere and an environment for mothers to work in a way that they can work at their best, then you're going to get the best work from them. And I, again, I think Mm -hmm. that the VPs at our agency are unbelievably fantastic, but yes, we made a lot of concessions as mothers, as working mothers, not only did we have to, we wanted to. I would even say that they're not, call- I wouldn't call them concessions. I think it's yeah, you're right. realizing that a mother just works differently, but probably harder. Meaning, you know, because it's proven that women are better multitaskers, um, that it goes like, no one will argue that women who are parents just work a little bit differently, but the output mm-hmm. is the same, if not better. If you adjust a little your expectations of what a, a workday looks like, um, sitting at a desk from nine to five does not mean someone is going to work at their their best. And that's a man, a woman, who someone with kids, without kids. Like I'm saying this about any human. Like just because you sit at a desk from nine to five does not mean you're doing a good job, and it does not mean your output and your productivity is better than someone who's working remotely a hundred percent. It's actually the opposite, or it's a little bit of both. So. I think it's just like first changing the expectation around what is the workplace now, but then also realizing mothers in particular may need adjustments, but those adjustments don't come at the cost of productivity. Exactly. We've seen it time and time again. It's been proven a hundred million ways. And I mean, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. So, um, I, and we hope that we show 
like by people looking at what we're doing, how, you know, I am going to say how successful we are and how competitive we are again against huge agencies that have been around forever and are four times the size of us. We are beating them out in business that you can see like they're, they're, they're killing it. Like they're crushing it. And so much of their leadership are working mothers. So, um, it's hopefully our, we're doing our part in, in like shifting that. And if another agency learns something from us and they start adapting it, amazing. And another agency, you know, I just hope that there's 10 years now, 15 years now, this conversation is not as annoying as it is right now. I mean, I think you guys could write a whole op-ed about it from you guys and pitch that just. I know we should. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievably frustrating because I have so many friends that own PR agencies and they'll call me and they're like, how much time do you give for maternity leave? And I'm like, what? They're like, do you think a month is enough? And I'm like, no, I don't. I think a month you're just kind of figuring things out. You know, you're like still like leaking. So I, at the end of the day, like we all need to be doing this. You're t- both of you are so dead on in that what we do is really an exception in a lot of ways. And what Melissa said is it shouldn't be because right. look at our productivity. It's the same way right. with, you know, we do over the summer, we do a four day work week. And during the year, we, uh, we close at one o'clock on Fridays so that people can kind of, you know, have time to themselves. And everyone says like, oh my God, like, how do you do that? How do you make it work? It has not changed our productivity. Our staff is unbelievably happy and unbelievably good at what they do. Our results have not changed. You need to talk to your teams and figure out what they need personally to feel better about their lives professionally. Mm -hmm. You can't not marry the two. Our biggest philosophy at JVC, other than just get the best press possible, is family first. Always, always family first. If someone has an issue with their family, if their boyfriend breaks up with them, I don't care what it is. If their dog's in the hospital, that trumps work. I hate the word Trump, but that is the priority over work. And that's what we lead with. And so it all comes back to, if you can support your team personally, they will do a better job professionally. I guarantee it. But what about the type of workers, and maybe you don't encounter this, that take that to an extreme? I mean, I think we do a pretty good job of establishing a team that genuinely wants to be at our company and work with us. Uh, A lot of the people we hire have been following us for a while and they like our work, they like our brands, and they're excited to come work with us. We can tell very quickly if someone is not a good fit for our company. I would say within weeks. And whether people agree with this or not, we don't have the luxury of waiting for someone to kind of find their footing at times. And if we know it's a bad fit, then it's a bad fit. We made a mistake with that hire and we will acknowledge it and that person won't go. But we really spend an enormous amount of time vetting candidates to make sure that the people we hire are not going to, you know, kind of just work from home and not do work. We also do have, um, I mean, we've also like set up some like small things that really establish boundaries and expectations too. So, you know, in our policy around unlimited PTO, which we have, it talks about, you know, creating boundaries and what feels excessive, what could be seemed excessive and things like that. Um, you know, in our onboarding process for new hires, we talk through those things too, is like how to best leverage your unlimited PTO to work for you. And, but while also making sure your team is supported. So I think, and our chief of staff really handles those conversations. So I think 
It's in the interview process, setting the right expectations. It's in the onboarding process. And then also in our actual formal documents, helping every employee understand like what is, how do I take advantage of these great benefits without it feeling like I'm taking advantage in a negative way. So um, I think taking those steps are really important. Listen, if there's a time where we feel like there's someone um, and it's very rare and maybe it's been once in the past couple of years, it feels excessive. It's just a simple conversation, a reminder of like, we rely on you in and your expertise and your team relies on you and your clients rely on you. Let's, can we re can we shift a little bit here in, and how we're taking advantage of these different benefits? And it's never, and it's become one of those easy dialogues to have because we talk about it so often and so freely. It's not this like quiet, like, I feel like there's companies that say we have a limited PTO, but it's really because no one ends up ever taking any time off. I hate that mentality. And that's so prevalent. Ours is no, take the time. Like I take the time, you should take the time, but we also are running a business at the same time. So giving them the autonomy to understand what does that balance mean? It's important skill set for them to even know themselves. I feel like I could never let that happen because everyone would just never be at the office, but I applaud you for it. <laughs> And also our work can be done almost anywhere. So, but we also value the importance of being in person, seeing other humans and that brainstorming that happens that cannot happen over zoom. Like you have to be in the same room. So we do have two days in three days out. Like it, for us, it feels like the right balance for what we do and for our team. Um, and gives them that, that level of freedom, but also some structure too, at the same time. So switching gears, because I have you on here. And I'm sure that I know for a fact that a lot of listeners, let's say they, they're a brand that they're not big enough to have your services, or they're just starting their company. How would someone go about amplifying themselves, their personal brand, their company without the ability of having a you? Well, first I would say we have office hours. So if you are that young brand or young entrepreneur and you want advice for free, you can just sign up for office hours at JBC and you'll get access to a senior member of the team who will literally help you kind of figure out like, what do I do? Like, what would be the story I should tell? Like, how do I go about it? Um, So I definitely urge any young entrepreneur to take advantage of that. Like, we love to do it. Like, this is not just a pretend thing we do to look good. Like, we actually want people to sign up and we have we have so much fun um, seeing all these cool ideas out there. the other side of that is I would, and Jen's going to have an opinion on this too, but I would say first and foremost, you have to have a social presence in the sense like you don't have to have the biggest following, but establish your voice and your brand on Instagram or TikTok, whatever the platforms are the kids are using these days. Because when you start talking to media, they need somewhere to go. And if they don't just, they'll go to your website, of course, but they want to know like, what is the spirit and essence of this brand that goes beyond this point of sale e-commerce site? So I can decide if my readers are going to care enough about this brand. So I think that's first and foremost is just starting to create a presence and a, a life and a story on a platform that makes the most sense to you. I mean, I still love like the 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 young founder just cold emailing editors. I still think that works and it's very um, endearing and editors still do like it. Um, if you send them a note of, and passionately write about who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and that just comes with a little bit of research, but those would be my two. Yeah. I was also going to say there's so many great resources out there now too, for like, you know, you guys have the female founders collective. Like if you are a member of female founders collective, you have access to so many leaders in PR. You don't necessarily have to pay a PR agency, but 
you can go to a conference and listening to one of them talk or go on and, you know, an Instagram live and listen to someone speak. So I always say like, just keep your eyes open because there are so many great kind of collectives and resources now that you can tap into to have access to real leaders in PR and marketing, um, which is really, I think, something we certainly did not have 10 years ago. Um, and then the other thing that Melissa tapped into, which was cold emailing editors. I think if you find an editor and they wrote a story that you really responded to and you're like, oh, I just, based on this story, I really feel like my brand is going to resonate with him or her. There's nothing wrong with writing that pitch or just introducing yourself and sending a little bit about the brand that you're working with. You know, we have a head of content, uh, Maura Brannigan. She is, you know, the editor at large of Fashionista. She writes for Vogue Business. She's fantastic and a great resource for us internally. Um, and she loves those. She's like, when someone really kind of has taken the time to understand what I am passionate about and what I like to write about, she doesn't care if the email comes from a publicist, you know, or the brand itself. It's the content of that pitch, which is going to resonate. So don't be afraid to do that. But just if you're going to do that, make sure you do the research. So you're emailing the right editor and you know that what you're sending is going to hit. I think those are great tips. And I love that you have office hours. I actually forgot that you had them. So I'm so glad that you mentioned it because that is that is gold. So if you're listening, take advantage. Uh, it's office hours at JBC. I think so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or just go to jenniferbet.com, jenniferbett.com. Yeah, you can. There's an office hours section and it'll show you how to sign up. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry if you get inundated. Apologies. I hope we do. No, it's, honestly, we love it. And it's funny because the way it was born was from working with you. Because when we did our conference together, which I think was now like seven, six years ago, the first one, five. Um, five yeah. What happened was we walked away from that, and there were so many people kind of reaching out to us saying, like, oh, I heard you guys speak, and da 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 da. I'd love to learn more, but I can't afford you guys. And so we're like, okay, well, just we'll set this up so you can have access to at least someone senior on our team. And it's just kind of taken on its own life since then. So Jenny, you and I text a lot of things that are not safe for work, um, no. which I'm grateful to have, and I'm not going to bring any of those things up. But okay. when you are, when the two of you are up against the things that you can't talk about as founders, or you can't I guess, who do you go to and how do you sort of get around those those things that you just didn't see coming or impasses or just like, oh, fuck, which as founders, we have all the time. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. What I've done, especially in the past few years, is the PR agency world is very competitive. Like we all are competing against each other for the same brands, right? An RFP goes out. I know exactly which agencies are getting that RFP. But I've actually become very close with a lot of the other founders of agencies, and they have become the biggest assets to all of those crazy moments. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem if I'm going through something, sending a quick text to, you know, Shelly at Autumn or Taryn at Moxie or Carrie at PPCM and saying, I saw you navigated this really well, and we are going through this at JVC. Can you kind of give me some guidance? I think that it's become really unbelievably helpful. When I first launched JVC, Melissa and I would have an issue and I would have no idea what to do. And I felt so intimidated by all these other agencies that were around so much longer than us. They had so much more experience. I, I didn't know who to talk to. 
now I really feel very connected to other agency owners. And I Mm -hmm. think what we go through is so unique and we have such a kind of niche specialization in what we offer and some of the dramas that we experience, whether it's, you know, a client went bankrupt and they owe me $50,000. Like, what the hell do I do? Or, you know, I just pitched this client and they said no, but they took our press plan and they're pitching it themselves. Like there's so much that goes on on a daily basis when it comes to PR agency life. But being able to reach out to fellow agency owners and senior level people at these companies has been, I I certainly would not have gotten through the pandemic without that. Mm -hmm. Being able to say, what are you guys doing about a hybrid schedule? Are you having people come back into the office? Are you having people test? All of those questions, like we didn't have answers to, but being able to tap into that collective was unbelievably beneficial. Because it is such a kind of unique shared experience. Mm-hmm. You I need am, to play nice. Yeah, like you can't just totally have that agree. competitive mindset. I actually like like having point like other ref like resources that are actually outside of PR and don't know anything about this business because it provides like a more like an objective view on a topic, an idea, an issue. So and it and and it'll be surprising to him that he know, that I'm going to say this, but I actually go to my husband a lot um, for his objective opinion, because he knows our business. Obviously he's been here since the beginning, um, but he's the co-founder of a business that's five years older and probably double the size or maybe triple the size of ours. So they have, they're in a different place life cycle wise of their business and have seen other things, right. And have gone through other things. So being able to get that perspective and, that feels semi-objective because he doesn't work in our agency setting, but still is in like that kind of startup world has been really interesting. Um, and sometimes the the advice or the reference he gives is maybe not super applicable, but if I think more about it, I'm like, actually we can learn something from that principle and it, it could be helpful here. So yeah, especially when it comes to staffing and hiring and how to grow the business um, from like a people perspective. So you certainly can't be afraid to connect with like other, I mean, honestly, some of our clients, the founders have become unbelievable resources to me. So, you know, like Meg from Dorsey, Ariel from Parachute, the co-founders, Carly and Danielle of The Skim, they're all JBC clients and they're all friends. And I have no shame in picking up the phone and calling Danielle at The Skim and saying, you know, we're about to go through something really tough. How did you navigate this? So you can't have shame with any of that. You know, at the end of the day, there's something really powerful, not to take away from Sean, Melissa's husband, who I love, um, about female founders and how they support one another. I mean, you joke about the texts we go back and forth on, but they're super helpful at times, you know? So I think being able to find kind of those people that are going to be your resources and are going to be your support system is really important as a founder, whether you're three months old or you're going into your 10th year. I love that you are vulnerable with people that could be considered competition. And I think that that's where we can be better is it's like, take away the fact that you could take my business or you could take that client, but we're going to share and that's going to lead to something greater than that one. There's enough room for all of us. I mean, there's a brand launching every single day. So I really believe that like, you know, the best kind of agency will win when it comes to the pitch, but that doesn't mean we can't all support each other. And by the way, we send business to all of those other agencies and vice versa. Like if a client comes to us, a potential brand, and we know we're not the best fit for that brand, I have no shame in saying, oh, hey, you know, there was a girl named Shannon who used to work at JBC. She's since launched a small beauty agency. I think she's fantastic. Talk to her. 
by the way, it's note PR, her PR agency, and they're great. Um, so to me, there's enough love to spread around. I hate the competitive mindset. It's mm-hmm. one thing when it comes to pitching and business. It's a whole other thing when it comes to kind of supporting one another. I love that. So where can everyone find you? Um, where do you want to, what do you want to promote as people's next action step? Um, I mean, our website is actually, Melissa was wrong. It's jbc-pr.com. Oh my God, did it change? <laughs> um, our Instagram is jbetcom, J-B-T-T-C-O-M-M. And the girls on our office launched a JBC TikTok, which I can't reference because I don't have TikTok, but. Our website is jenniferbet.com. It is not jbc-pr.com. This is typical Melissa Jen. Founders are arguing about the website. It's wonderful. It is jenniferbet.com. That did not change. If you go to jbc-pr.com, it still goes to our website. (laughs) And our TikTok is very cute. Um, This great girl, Alex, has been putting up really fun content if you want to laugh. So that is where you can learn more about us. And yeah, we are really excited. We're doing affiliate now. We're doing earned media. So um, if you have a great brand that you're about to launch and you want to learn more, reach out. Sounds good. Thank you for coming back and sharing what the last five years has been like. I think considering who, you know, you mentioned who you're up against client wise, and you just brought on six brands and your mothers and you're fucking taking your maternity leaves. I, I bow down. <laughs> Well, so we bow down to this podcast. We bow down to you. Yeah, you're the best. And I'm not kidding when I tell you every one of our brands, this is on their like wish list for podcasts. So if you are listening, you should tell your clients to get on this podcast and I don't know, or advertise on it. Do you take advertisers? I take them all the time. Okay, well then do that. I'm telling you guys, everyone is listening to this podcast and I am not even paid to do the PR for this podcast. So you know I'm being legit. This is not a paid partnership. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.